ora and welcome to the Hill Country Futures Partnership Program podcast series designed to equip New Zealand Hill Country farmers with decision-making tools and the best forage options for a whole farm system approach, which in turn future-proofs the profitability, sustainability and well-being of our pastoral farmers. I'm your host for this series, Seraperium Lamp, proud to support thriving hill country communities. And joining us on this episode is Dr Nathan Odges, who's worked at Manaki Whenua Landcare Research since 2017 on projects related to SMAP, New Zealand's national soil map. He took over from James Barringer, who was instrumental in establishing the soil temperature and moisture micro indicators project that is a key component of the resilient forages aspect of the Hill Country Futures program. Welcome Nathan. I, I think this is the first, is it? The sen- first sensor network for New Zealand with regards to soils? Yeah, thanks Sarah. No, it, it's certainly a first for us at Manaki Whenua in terms of using um, the LoRa technology in our wireless sensor network. So we've, we've, we've got a lot of experience with wireless sensor networks um, at Manaki Whenua dating back to you know the mid-1990s really. Um, uh, but yeah, as I say, first, first time for us with, um, using the LoRa sort of technology and we're really impressed by that, um, so far. So I guess if if you can imagine on the farm, you've got your sensors distributed across the place, right. And they're just sort of sitting out there measuring soil temperatures, soil moisture, whatever, um, every hour. And they're just doing the same thing over and over and they report their measurements back to, uh, central device called a gateway, right. And that gateway is what communicates with the outside world through the cell network, sends your data back to a, a cloud database. So the LoRa is is really what defines the um, the radio link between the sensors and the gateway. And that's what's come a long way, um, certainly since we started playing with these types of networks. Um, in our testing around um, Lincoln a couple of years ago, we, were, we had a, a test gateway set up in the Port Hills and we were communicating at it with it um at distances up to 25 30 kilometers uh which is amazing um we sort of thought we might get 10 kilometers of of range you know the benefit of that is that you it minimizes the amount of communications infrastructure that you need in the field um and it means you can have very large networks that don't require yeah a lot of communications infrastructure we've come a long way since the mid-1990s when we were using the the electronics in literally garage door openers, you know, the little remote control you have in your car um, to, to communicate over very short distances indeed. So it's pretty exciting for us. So I'm imagining a valley in a hill country property, the infrastructure across point to point on the hills can cover a huge area in a valley. As long as you have decent line of sight, yeah, between the components of that network, you can seems like you can communicate across large distances, which is really cool. Um, yeah, really opens up the size of the network that you can have across your farm or even perhaps adjacent farms or whatever, if you put the gateways in the right spot, it's it's cool, yeah. Yeah, and then being able to make uh, those decisions based on where the soil moisture profiles are different based on different contours, mm-hmm. um, key lines, all that sort of thing. So how many farms have you been working on, particularly within the Hill Country Futures Programme? So we operate six wireless sensor networks, um, comprising about ten farms across Hill Country. Um, four farm, four sites on the North Island. So uh, we've got one at Mahia, um, one near Tamaranui, Tai Happy, one sort of between Palmy and and um, the East Coast, um, and then down here in Canterbury, we've got one um, at Mount Summers and one on the Port Hills here. So 
um, 20 sensors on each network, 120 sensors in total. And, and monitoring soil temperature and moisture hourly. Hourly, that's right. Pretty massive amount of data to be able to make sense of. So therefore, the outcomes of having a sensor network on your property, how do we start to visualize that data so therefore we can actually know how to move some levers and dials? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it is a lot of data. Um a couple of things. So we've, you know, we've, we've, we've set up a little visualization portal for the farmers so that they can log on and, and really kind of see the data coming in in pretty near real time. It's sort of an hour or two of lag between when a measurement's made and it shows up on, on the little graph there. So that's cool for them. Um, uh, you know, obviously, you see the trend over time. Soil temperature is just doing the same sort of thing all the time, but um, soil moisture, you can really see how it responds to the bigger rainfalls and... Um, uh, you know, when 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 it's decreasing over a long period of time, and plants might be going into water stress and things like that. So, I think that's a cool tool for them. Um, the other thing, of course, is because all the data is in a cloud database, we can just pipe it into our modeling frameworks for um, doing some of the mapping and, and other analysis that we've been up to. So, I know there'll be a lot of uh, dryland and irrigated farms in hill country around New Zealand where those tools would be differing obviously soil moisture when you can turn the rain on is a bit different to when you're monitoring and managing something that is uncontrollable so so therefore um if we come back to the the results on those farms how are they differing in terms of management irrigation management yeah i can't talk a lot about irrigation management. Are they, are they all irrigated, not all non-irrigated in terms of so? Parts of those farms are irrigated, yeah. But you've got to, we've got some sensors on some pretty steep slopes out there where it's just, you know, it's impractical to irrigate really. Um, it's important though to, I think, sample that diversity of landscapes at the farm scale. Of course, um, it tells you different things. You know, if you just sampled on all the north-facing slopes, for example, you're not going to be able to account for what's happening on, on the flatter slopes or on the south-facing slopes. Um, uh, uh, that really showed up in our data too. Um, yeah. um, one of the things that really struck me looking at the temperature data, and we kind of know that, you know, at some level we kind of know that, you know, north-facing north slopes tend to be um, warmer and drier than south-facing slopes in the southern hemisphere, right? Um, and as I say, that showed up in our data. And it really, what really struck me, I guess, was the um, the way that the soils, or the rate, I guess, at, the, 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 at, at which the soils warmed up from the minimum in about late July, you know. Um, on, on the north-facing slopes at one of our Canterbury sites, um, uh, took about 102 days for, for the north-facing soils to warm up to about 10 degrees, right? Just an arbitrary threshold. But um, And on south-facing slopes, uh, it took about 144 days to warm from the minimum through 10 degrees. And so that's sort of six weeks of difference in the warming rate. Um, and the only thing is you've stepped from one side of the hill to the other. And, yeah, so that does have implications for management if you, you know, consider that, um, you know, it, it might mean that uh, you can plant a few weeks sooner on one side of the hill because you know you're going to be able to germinate your seed sooner. Um, you wouldn't know that if you didn't sample on all that diversity of, of landscapes at the farm scale. So, mm. um, Really exciting stuff. So therefore the application currently, is it still at research stage and when is it starting to get to a point of a model that farmers can use? It's... Um, 
Yeah, good question. So we've 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 fit our models um, to the data. What we've and, and and so what we're trying to do there <clears throat> is relate the cell the, the the temperature and the moisture to other factors of the environment that might help explain um, how it varies across space and across time. Uh, so we've we've related the so, so we're thinking about factors like elevation, that sort of slope aspect that I talked about the the direction the slope faces we're trying to capture some of those factors in the model and we're using the models then to predict the soil temperature and moisture across our study farms at high resolution so we don't know what the soil temperature and moisture is everywhere but we know things like the elevation and the aspect and all that everywhere so we can apply the model and predict across the landscape at high resolution and we can do that for every day in the year too, right? So we can see at high resolution, um, you know, every 30 meters across the landscape, how the temperature and moisture is changing um, throughout the course of the year. That's a pretty cool tool. Um, and then the interconnectedness to the other parts of the Hell Country Futures research, the work that Professor Derek Moot's done, they, they have they been complementing each other and, and how they intersect? Yeah. Um, so the I, I think back to some of the apps and work that they've been doing, um, and what they've been trying to do um, is is predict legume yield at the national scale, right? And um, that's you know I talked about making measurements every thirty meters. Um, they're doing sort of measurements every five thousand meters across the landscape, right? So it's pretty coarse, um, and at that scale you can't really account for the effects of topography at at the farm you know that might be happening on each farm right so i think the link there where one of the the key crossovers is actually we're trying to model at the farm scale and 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 actually reveal some of those really important topographic differences in in what's happening with things like um temperature and, and uh, soil temperature and moisture um and how that might flow onto um, estimating uh, important agronomic variables like lucerne yield and things. And we're going to get into more of that in another episode with uh, Nathan around why we knowing your soil temp and moisture levels uh, can help you make better decisions around pasture planning. But also to the Epson model that Nathan referred to, if you haven't listened, there is another episode there with Professor Derek Moot talking about the Epson model. This is a simulation model around production systems. Uh, and so make sure you check that out on the Hill Country Futures podcast. But thank you very much, Nathan. This is part of a wider podcast series of Hill Country Futures Partnership Program, which is a wrap of the $8.1 million research program co-funded by Beef and Lamb New Zealand, Ministry for Business, Innovation and Employment, PGG Rights and Seeds and Seed Force New Zealand. For more information, visit hillcountryfutures.co.nz and of course the Beef and Lamb New Zealand Knowledge Hub is huge with heaps of resources online as well. Namahi nui.